0: Well, good morning. How are you doing? Good. My name is Nate. If we don't know each other, I'd love to meet you. Um, I do want to let you know about a couple things coming up. Um, As our senior citizen, Mike Peeler, was uh, trying to let us know, um, we... um, We uh, are doing a thing this coming week called Staff Week for our staff. And it's basically just a little mini conference that we're doing here for our staff, um, just for a chance, uh, hopefully, for our staff to be spiritually refreshed and for us to do some professional development and some team building and things like that. And so as part of that, um, uh, it was important to me that nobody um, have to be writing a sermon or worrying about... um, A bunch of details for the upcoming week so that we could actually focus as a staff. Um, And so next Sunday, we've got a guest worship team who's coming uh, from NU, uh, Northwest University. Uh, NU worship is going to come and lead us in worship. And we also have uh, one of my friends whose name is Chad. Uh, He's the young adults pastor at Canyon Hills um, in Bothell. Um, He'll be coming to preach next Sunday. And so uh, that's what you can expect next Sunday. And then Um, The following uh, Sunday is June 5th and then June 12th, um, we're going to do a two-part little mini-series on June 5th and 12th on the Lord's Prayer. And so um, that's what we'll be doing, those two dates. And then on June 19th, we start a series um, on the Psalms that we'll do this summer, all right? So that's what's coming up, um, just to give you a heads up on those things. Do you ever struggle to live with the right perspective? Do you ever struggle to live with the right perspective? For me, I can get worked up about things and be in a bad mood and um, get frustrated. And really, once you start to drill down, the root of it is not really any of the stuff that I'm upset about. The root of it is really just me and my perspective. In life, is that uh, can anybody relate to that? Um, and I think that our perspective naturally drifts downward and inward. Our perspective naturally drifts downward and inward. By that I mean, we're less prone to think about the transcendent and the grand, and we're more prone to start getting into the minutia of life. We're less prone to think about the eternal, important things, and we're more prone for our perspective to come downward to things that will expire, things that have an expiration date. Our perspective naturally drifts down from the things of heaven to the things of earth, down from God to us. That's how our perspective naturally drifts. And not only does our perspective drift downward, it also drifts inward. Less about you and more about me. Less about your needs or the needs of my neighbors and more about my needs. It's just naturally how our perspective drifts, downward and inward. I was thinking about this and I remember One of the first times that I was on a plane, how excited I was to have a window seat, to be able to look out and just how amazed I was, how much wonder I had at, we're above all of that stuff. We're above the clouds. I was so, so amazed. And now give me the aisle. And I wanna be able to go to the bathroom, and put that thing down. It's the glare. It's getting on my screen here. And who cares that we're above this stuff? And man, who cares? I need to be able to go to the bathroom and stick my legs out and stretch. I mean, how like ridiculous is some of that kind of stuff? I mean, you're productive. You got to get stuff done on the plane. I get it but just the all of life we lose to think about every day, here and now kinds of stuff. Or this week, I just noticed, I'm putting my daughter to bed and it's a whole thing, you know? And we're reading books and we're doing, you know, singing songs and one more glass of water. And, and I'm just like, we're going to bed now. <laughs> <clears throat> and the reason is because I've got a show that I want to watch. And so let's get through it. Now, looking back on my life, in 30 years, I will not remember what happened in the fourth episode of season six of Better Call Saul. But I will miss those moments with my daughter. But my perspective naturally drifts downward from the eternal to the things that are minute to the things that are temporary and it naturally drifts inward towards me and what I want now. And the reason that I bring that up is because not only do I think that that can happen to every single one of us, but that can also happen in a church. In a church, our perspective can naturally drift down away from the things of God to the things of us. And it can naturally drift in, away from the world and our neighbors to us. And today, I want us to lift our eyes up and out. Today, as we conclude this series on the church, We're just going to talk about how a church that's really healthy is a church that embraces God's vision for the world. And in order to embrace God's vision, God's mission in the world, we have got to get our eyes up and out. And so to do that, we're going to look at I think, one of the most powerful prophecies in the Old Testament. This is where God is talking about the future. And he says, here's what the world is going to be like someday. If you have a Bible, Isaiah chapter two is where we're gonna be. Isaiah chapter two. If you wanna use one of the Bibles that's in the the pew, then page uh, 601 Is where it'll be. All right? Page 601. We're going to read this prophecy together, and then we're going to walk through it and talk about what it means. All right? Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths. For instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse four, he will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives Nation will not take up the sword against nation and they will never again train for war. Verse five, house of Jacob, come and let's walk in the Lord's light. This is the vision that God gives to Isaiah. He says, here's what the future is going to be. Here's what the world will be like In the last days, he says. Now, the little phrase last days is like a little hyperlink that you could click, and if you clicked it, it would take you to this day in the future where the Messiah will be reigning. So the the last days refers to the days of the Messiah, the days when God's anointed one, God's king will be on the earth and will reign on the earth. And we know now that the Messiah is Jesus. So the last days refers to the days of Jesus. So in the last days, here's what's going to happen. He says, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. What does that mean? Well, in the ancient world, mountains were associated with the gods. And this is why, uh, for example, in Greek mythology, where do all the Greek mythological gods come from? They originate at Mount Olympus because the mountains, the hills are where you go to connect with God. And so that's true of things that are not in the Bible, ancient cultures that are not in the Bible. It's also true of, the Bible's culture. Whenever the nation of Israel would commit idolatry and worship false gods, one of the ways that the prophets would condemn them is they would say, you've gone up to the high places. That's a shorthand way of saying idolatry. You go up to the mountains to worship. The mountains are associated with the gods. And God also built his house on a mountain. It's called Mount Zion. It's just another name for Jerusalem, the city of David, Mount Zion. And Mount Zion is going to be referenced in uh, verse 3. But verse 2 is telling us that a day is coming when the mountain of the Lord will be higher than all the other mountains. Now, I don't think that's a literal thing that's saying that that means that this mountain is going going to become higher than... Mount Everest. The point is that the God who dwells on this mountain will be worshiped above all other gods. The God who dwells on this mountain will be more feared, more revered, more cherished, more worshiped, more loved, more sought after than all the other gods of the earth. This mountain will be the highest mountain in esteem and in importance. There's a day coming on the earth when all will worship the one true God, the God of Israel. That's the vision. And he says, all nations will stream to it. And the word nations here doesn't refer to political groups. It refers to people groups. People from all over the earth will be streaming up to this mountain, to worship the Lord. People from all over the earth will want to cherish the God of Israel. Now you can go to Israel today and experience how unbelievably hard to believe, unbelievably hard to believe. I mean, think about that. This actually is. All the nations of the earth are going to come to worship this one God. All peoples of the earth are going to stream to worship this God. Verse 3, not only that, but many peoples will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths. So not only are they going up to worship, but they're going up to learn. They want to learn the word of God. They want to learn how to walk in his ways. They want to learn how to make all of their life surrendered to his ways for them. All the peoples of the earth will do this. And notice, In verse 2, it says that that these peoples are going to stream to it. They're going to stream up this mountain. The image is of like a river that's flowing. Is it normal for rivers to flow uphill? No. And so this thing that seems hard to believe is going to happen because it's a miracle. A miraculous supernatural work of God will take place in the days of the Messiah that will cause all the peoples, people from every tribe and tongue, people from every culture to stream, to worship the Lord and to learn from him, to walk in his ways. What is going to bring this miraculous ascension? What's going to make it happen? What's going to draw all of these diverse people up this mountain? Something is coming down the mountain. Something is coming out of this mountain city that's causing all the peoples of the earth to go up. Here's what's coming out, the rest of verse three. For instruction or law, for teaching will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. What is causing this miraculous ascension? The fact that God's word is coming down. God's word is coming out of the city, and that's causing a supernatural ascension into the mountain city. And here will be the result once they get up there. Verse 4 He, that's the Lord, the Messiah, He will settle disputes among the nations. And provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up the sword against nation, and they will never again train for war. Does that sound unbelievable? Do you look at the world and think there's no way? God says, a day is coming when a diverse group of people with all of their differences are going to ascend to go be with the Lord so that they can worship, so that they can learn. And they will not only be doing that in their own little groups, excited about God individually, but still hating one another, but they will actually be at peace with one another. This little phrase, they will beat their swords into plows. This is on a monument, a statue outside of the United Nations in New York City. This is what it looks like. This was a gift from the Soviet Union to the United Nations. And it has this verse inscripted on it. This is the vision of the United Nations to bring about this kind of peace on the earth. God says that will be a reality. And the way that this reality will come about is the Messiah will settle the disputes. The Messiah will bring peace. God's word is going to be going out to bring them in, to bring them up. And the Messiah will give them peace. And not only will he make them at peace with one another, but he's also going to transform their energy. He's going to say, keep that same energy that you had when you wanted to fight one another. We're going to turn your sword into a plow so that we can work together. You had the same energy to destroy. Now we're gonna use that same energy to build something together. And so the invitation ends in verse five. I think verse five belongs with this section rather than the latter section. House of Jacob, come and let's walk in the Lord's light. Here is God's mission in the world. Isaiah chapter two, God's mission is gathering all peoples to worship and work together in peace. God's mission is gathering all peoples to worship and work together in peace. This vision is of peoples from all languages coming to work together and worship. This vision is of people of all cultures, as they make the ascent, they've got different music streaming in their ears. As they make this ascent, they've packed different food in their bags for the journey. As they make this ascent, there's all kinds of diversity and culture, but they are united in one purpose. That is we wanna worship the Lord, we wanna learn his ways And once they get up there, the Messiah, Jesus, will help them work together in peace. That is God's mission in the world. That is what He's up to. That's what He's doing. Does that sound impossible? It's impossible for a lot of reasons. But one of them is God is very clear in the Old Testament that sinners don't get to ascend the mountain of the Lord like this. Listen to Psalm 24, verse 3. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Well, here it sounds like all peoples are going to be doing that. Yeah, 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 but who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully. So how is this vision going to come about? That doesn't seem like a description of the nations to me. Of the peoples. It doesn't sound like a description of all the families of the earth to me. It doesn't sound like a description of my family. Clean hands, not guilty of anything, pure heart, always looking out for each other, never doing anything that would put the other person behind me and my needs. how is this going to come about? The New Testament says, Romans chapter 3, for there is no distinction, talking about distinctions between people groups, Jews, Gentiles. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How is this vision going to come about? How could all the peoples of the earth Ascend the mountain of the Lord. The answer is that this vision takes place in the days of the Messiah. The Messiah, Jesus, the only one who is worthy to ascend the mountain, has come down the mountain for sinners. Jesus, the only one who is worthy to be with God, has come down the mountain. He's done it by taking on human flesh. And then he takes our guilt and our shame by going to a cross and dying. And his blood shed on the cross makes it possible for us to wash our hands and to purify our hearts and to make us clean so that we can be people who can ascend the mountain. Jesus has come down the mountain, figuratively speaking, so that all nations can come up. Jesus, in his life on the earth, was bringing Isaiah chapter 2 into the present. Now, this vision will be fully and finally fulfilled when Jesus returns to the earth. Jesus did not stay dead. Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended to be with his father and someday he will return to the earth. And when he returns, Isaiah chapter two will happen. It will be fully and finally fulfilled when Jesus returns. But this future reality in Isaiah chapter two is breaking in to the present age now. And it's breaking into the present age now in the local church. Think about that. What God wants to accomplish in the world for all peoples. He has already started. He's giving us a sample of it in the church. The vision is for all peoples in light of all of their diversity to come together as one, to go up the mountain, to worship and work together in peace. Does that sound like what we've been talking about in this series on the church to you? Think about how God's vision in Isaiah 2 is playing out now in the church. Think about this. God's vision for the world here in Isaiah 2 is people coming to Mount Zion to worship. Let's remember Hebrews chapter 12 that we've looked at, I don't know, three times in this series. And here's what Isaiah chapter 12 says. Speaking to Christians in a church, you have come. To Mount Zion. The city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to the mountain. How? When you trusted in Jesus, the savior who makes it possible for people to ascend the mountain. You've come to the mountain. Isaiah chapter two is a breaking in. It's a future reality that's like it's dammed up, but it's breaking through into the present. Isaiah chapter two. The vision is of teaching, going out of Mount Zion, the word of the Lord coming out of Jerusalem to bring about all nations. What does Jesus say? the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. Listen to this. Go therefore, go therefore and make disciples. What's a disciple? Disciple, it just means a student, somebody who learns stuff. That's all the word means. What are the people in Isaiah chapter 2 wanting to go up to Jerusalem for? to learn his ways so that they can walk in his ways. Jesus says, go make learners, people who will learn to walk in my ways. Was Jesus inventing something new here in Matthew 28 or was Jesus simply coming to fulfill what God said would happen in the days of the Messiah in Isaiah chapter two? Go therefore and make disciples of who? nations, all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This vision in Isaiah chapter 2 is of a diverse group of people being united and at peace for the work of ministry. Listen to Ephesians chapter two. He came, that's Jesus, the Messiah. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Talking about Jews and Gentiles. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. What does that sound like to you? The vision of Isaiah chapter two. This future reality that God promised would happen, he says, here's where the future is going. Here's where all of the world is pointed to this day when all will ascend the mountain to worship and work together in peace. It is breaking in now to the local church. Let me show you one last verse that kind of puts all of these things together. This is kind of cool. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is like, you know, the verse everybody likes to use to summarize the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What does that sound like to you? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That sounds kind of like this group of people in Isaiah chapter 2 who want to get together to learn God's ways so they can walk in his paths. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. The word fellowship means partnership. It means working together on a project or on a job. What does that sound like? It sounds like this group of people in Isaiah chapter two who have had their swords built into plows so they can work together in peace. The church has become this partnership where we're working together for something. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread refers to them living together, eating together. A lot of church history believes this is a reference to the Lord's Supper. Either way, it refers to this idea of peace between different groups of people. They're together as one. They're sharing a table together. And then it says, and to prayer. They're ascending the mountain to worship. Here's the point God's vision for the world in Isaiah chapter 2 is playing out all over the world right now in local churches. When you got ready this morning and you were doing your hair, you were getting dressed, you run out to the car, and you drove here. Maybe you walked here, maybe you rode your bike. I don't know how everybody came. When you got here, you weren't just coming to another event on the calendar today. You were streaming to a mountain. You were coming in fulfillment, partial but true fulfillment of God's vision for the world. So, what does it look like for a local church to pursue this mission of God? I think it looks like two things. It looks like keeping our eyes up and out. Looking upward and outward. So what do I mean by looking upward? Philippians chapter three, Paul says this. I pursue as my goal, the prize, the trophy promised by God's heavenly or literally upward call in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul is giving his life to, this upward call. Therefore, let all who are mature think this way. What does it mean to follow this upward call, to pursue this upward mission, to keep our eyes up? What does that mean? I think that it means keeping our eyes on Jesus and remembering what he's calling us to do. God is on a mission in the world and we are part of it. Healthy churches understand this mission first as something that has happened to us before it's something that we have to go and do. Does that make sense? This has already happened to us. The word has come down to us. And that is what draws us up the mountain. And so part of what it means to be a church that's on mission is simply being a church, doing normal church stuff, the kinds of stuff that we've talked about in this series. We said in this series that we've been forming this little definition, and here it is. The church is a community of people who follow Jesus. That is, we listen to his word and we do what it says. We hear it and we obey it. We're hearers of his word and doers of his word. A church that keeps its eyes up is a church that says, we want to do what God says. We want to know what he says. We want to hear what he says. And we want to do that. A church that starts to let its gaze drift downward is a church that says, ah, I don't know about what God's word says. Ah, well, don't you know about this or that or this thing or that thing? Here are all of these things down here that would cause us to not want to listen to what God's word says. We want to be a church that keeps our eyes up. Yeah, yeah, but but what did God say? I know what's going on. What did God say? We want to be a church that follows Jesus. It's a community of people who follow him. We listen and obey his word. The church is a community of people who gather for worship. Why do we do this? Why do we get together for for worship? Because we remember that God's word has come down to us. God's word literally came down to us the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that draws us into worship. The gospel has come down. The good news of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection has come down so that we can go up. So churches that want to stay missional, continue to gather and celebrate God, We gather for worship. We're a community of people who publicly profess our faith through baptism in the Lord's Supper. You want to be a church that spreads the gospel? You want to be a church that's missional? Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. A church that wants to be outward focused starts by being upward focused. Let's do what God said to do. He said to take the Lord's Supper together. And when we eat this bread and drink the cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We're telling each other and the world the message of Jesus just by gathering and taking the Lord's Supper together. Do you see how being a church on mission starts by just being a church. We said that being the church, the church is a community of people who commit to one another. Ephesians chapter four, we read this last week. We talked about it. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You want to be a church that's on mission, that's pursuing this vision of Isaiah chapter 2? Commit to loving one another in the church. Does Ephesians chapter 4 sound like the vision? God's mission is something that has happened to us before it's something that we go and do ourselves. John Mark. Comer, who was a pastor in Portland, has a podcast called This Cultural Moment. And I don't remember what episode this is in, but this little quote has always stuck with me because I experienced it. He said, in the 2000s, we became missional without being formed into disciples. The result of this was we ended up copying the culture instead of influencing the culture. If we want to be a missional church that pursues this vision of Isaiah chapter 2, it starts by recognizing that this mission has to happen to us. God is drawing us to himself. So we have to look up. We have to have our vision out, uh, upward, and outward. And here's how I think we can keep our eyes outward three simple things. Simple to say, simple to remember, hopefully, but maybe not to do. Pray, give, and go. Pray, give, and go. If we want to be a church that's looking outward, we've got to be a church who prays. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus says, look, do you see There's a harvest out there. We don't have that many workers, man. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Pray. Pray for workers. Pray that God would send people back down the mountain with the word. Pray for that. Pray that God would send people to your neighbors with the word and pray that God would send people to the nations with the word. And by praying about that, just see if your heart begins to move. Who are you called to take the gospel to? I don't know. but pray give and by this i mean give your money to things that advance the gospel i hope that our church is a faithful steward that when money is given here that we are using it to advance the gospel i hope that's true When you give to Highlands, you help us buy food for Discover Highlands. And that may seem like a pretty petty thing, but our goal is to be able to connect with people so that they can get connected into the church and begin to follow Jesus here. So when you give, you help us do little things like that. Without people giving, we couldn't do that. When you give to Highlands, you help us lead kids and students to know Jesus so that we might influence the next generation in a positive way. When you give to Highlands, you give to help us pay the electricity bill here and have air conditioning and heat and do all kinds of other operational things. And that may seem like a dumb expense, but you're at the building. And helping us pay the bills is a way of helping us gather together as a church on Sundays, and also facilitate all kinds of meetings and groups and ministry throughout the week. So I hope that your money that you give here is going to gospel work. When you give here, you also help us pay staff members like me, and I'm super grateful for that. Thank you for supporting our financial well-being by giving to the church. We need that. And I hope that we are a blessing to you as staff members. And I hope that we equip you and facilitate all kinds of ministry because of your generosity to us. So thank you for doing that, genuinely. And when you give to Highlands, you give to support global missions. Currently, 10% of everything that's given to Highlands goes to global missions. With our global missions partners. And I hope that in years to come, we can actually even grow that percentage. But when you give, you give to gospel work. I hope that's always true here. Pray, give. And go. Go. Go to your neighbors. This week, I heard two different stories about evangelistic encounters that happened in Home Depot from two different people, completely unrelated. One was this woman in our church who saw this woman at Home Depot, talked with her, and didn't have a chance to exchange a number or anything like that, but she prayed that God would help her to meet this woman again. And three days later, she met her and Fred Meyer, and they exchanged numbers, and they're gonna to get together. That's just being an intentional neighbor. That's all that is. The other story that I heard was from a man who was going to buy rat poison. And I don't know what problem he has in his life, but I hope he gets it solved. Uh, But he showed up to Home Depot to buy rat poison and got to talking to this guy and rat poison brings out, you know, the deepest well of the soul, you know? And so they start talking. Long story short, this guy ends up saying, he's been hoping that somebody would come who can explain how he can reconnect with God. And the guy shared the gospel with him. Two Home Depot stories. Doesn't get more practical than that. You can build it. They can help. I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's the Home Depot motto. Um, So go to your neighbors. Um, That's the point. And go to the nations. To the nations. Now, maybe that looks like for you, supporting, like becoming more of a supporter of one of our missionaries. We've got some missionary brochures out in the, on one of these columns in the lobby that you can look at and just read about some of the missionaries that we support as a church. Maybe it looks like getting more involved with one of them. Maybe it looks like you taking a short-term mission trip of some kind. Maybe it looks like you praying about, hey, when we retire, we're going, dude, to the nations. We're gonna give the rest of our lives to that. I don't know what it looks like for you. But Jesus is calling us to go. To go with the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. Would we be a church that's looking up and out and is obedient to that call? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son the Messiah, Jesus. God, thank you for what he accomplished in his life and his death and his resurrection. We want to keep our eyes on him. God, thank you that we can be forgiven of our idolatry and worshiping false things, putting our attention and our gaze on false things. Thank you that we can be forgiven of that because of what Jesus has done for us. So God, would you help us now to fix our eyes on you? Would you help us to worship you? Would you help us to be people who worship you and experience the joy of knowing you? And God, until you come, would we be faithful to go? It's in Jesus' name that I ask, amen. Would you stand and sing with us?